Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will bring you up to speed on a range of developments within the Beltway and beyond. Joining me once again for the conversation, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. Shane, great to be with you as always. Thank you for joining us here on a Wednesday morning. Looking forward to the conversation. Thanks, Sam. It's good to be with you. Hope you're doing well. So, Shane, as we know, Decision 2022 had gone into overtime, namely with the Georgia Senate race, and we did have the election yesterday. That was on Tuesday, December 6th. So with that now behind us, Shane, do we have a definitive result as of this Wednesday morning and an overall understanding at this point of the full composition of Congress comes January? Yeah, no, that means uh, the results are in, and Senator Raphael Warnock, Democrat from Georgia, has been reelected. Um, so we know that the Senate's composition will be 51 to 49, uh, which is a one seat increase for Democrats um, you know, from the current 50 50. You know, in some respects, this is meaningful. In some respects, this isn't meaningful. It's meaningful because, you know, while increasing their majority in the Senate, uh, this takes a little bit of pressure off on certain nominations. You've seen um, Democrat senators, most notably Senator Joe Manchin from uh, West Virginia, been able to uh, use a little bit of power the past few years and, and you know, stall or stop uh, nominees for different departments and agencies within the administration. Um, and, you know, sometimes extract uh, demands from the Biden administration in return for supporting their nominees. With 51 votes now, you know, they may not need Senator Joe Manchin on some of these nominees to get across the finish line. So this takes away a little bit of that threat from Senator Manchin. It would now require two Democrat senators to, you know, stop a nomination from going forward. So it changes a little there. But overall, you know, it doesn't change the prognosis that we're going to be in divided government, uh, divided government, excuse me, for the next two years. You know, Republicans control the House, Democrats control the Senate and the White House. So, you know, if for legislation not only to pass the House, but the Senate, um, it will need Republican support. You know, nominations uh, only need 50 votes to advance in the Senate, but regular legislation uh, need 60 still. So, you know, they'll be in search for nine Republicans to get things uh, across uh, the Senate. So, you know, um, this does, as I, I started out, this does make some changes. Um, but, you know, I think it owed to our overall base case of, you know, what can and cannot pass into law the next two years, it, it doesn't change that much. Well, it is nice at this point to have some clarity around the balance of power within Congress and the overall makeup of it, something that perhaps might be lacking a bit of clarity at this point. I know when we last spoke, Shane, we talked about the prospects for new congressional leadership. So how is that all coming together as we head into year end? In the House, you know, where the biggest fights are, you know, there is some clarity, but also still a question mark. You know, the clarity is that you know, for the Democrats, they have elected a new leadership team with Hakeem Jeffries of New York at the top being their leader. Um, their number two and three slots are also fresh faces, uh, Captain Clark and Pete Aguiar. Their fourth person will be an old hand, 
um, Congressman James Clyburn of South Carolina. So they have their leadership team, you know, in place and ready to go and already, you know, taking over the reins. And for Republicans, you know, uh, their internal elections have Kevin Speaker, uh, Kevin McCarthy as the Speaker designate and uh, Steve Scalise as the leader, uh, Tom Emmer as the whip, and Elise Stefanik as the conference chair. So those are their top four um, office holders for leadership. You know, the big question is that, you know, while Kevin McCarthy got the sufficient uh, votes and an internal vote of Republicans, will he have enough votes on the House floor on January 3rd to become Speaker? And, you know, as of today, he does not have uh, the sufficient votes. So he's working uh, every day right now to try and secure those votes. I think we're uh, right now we're in for a very interesting January 3rd that may uh, provide some twists and turns. So I think that will be the storyline uh, to follow as the calendar turns to 2023, um, you know, in the opening days of the new Congress. Well, the next few weeks, to your point, Shane, should be interesting. And I know before the new Congress takes effect next year, the current Congress still has a lot to work on with respect to the debt ceiling. There has been a lot of headlines, concerns surrounding this in recent days. Where does that all stand? Yeah, no, this is an important issue that we're keeping close eye on. You know, before the end of the year, Congress really only has to do a few things. One of them is pass government funding legislation, you know, to fund government operations. If this doesn't happen by January 16th, there'll be a a shutdown of government operations on December 17th. Now, in those efforts, you know, uh, lawmakers are trying to attach a variety of issues, um, you know, things like uh, retirement legislation, tax extenders, and the list goes on. One notable one is that uh, lawmakers are, are testing the waters to see if they can increase the nation's debt ceiling. Um, the debt ceiling has been increased, you know, every time it's needed to uh, over our, the course of our history. In theory, if it was not increased and, you know, the U.S. could default on its debt, which would send shockwaves through the markets. Um, so this is an important issue. I think... You know, um, what we need to understand is that if, if the um, debt ceiling increase is included in this year-end package, I think that would be very welcome news. If it is not included, that's not necessarily bad news because we're not scheduled to breach the debt ceiling for several months. Um, probably in the spring is when we'll hit the debt ceiling and then uh, – the Department of Treasury can use what's called uh, extraordinary measures to um, keep funding uh, and keep keep us from breaching the debt limit for about three to eight months, depending on you know how tax revenues come in. So right now we're not looking at full breach of the debt ceiling until Q3 of 2023. Um, at that time, it will become a very volatile issue, and you know could spark some market concern. So you know it's not. That paramount that the debt ceiling is increased before the end of this year. But you're hearing about it because this would be the best and easiest path to resolve the issue before it becomes a volatile issue in Q3 of next year. So, you know, uh, something to follow and be aware of, um, but not uh, let it, you know, uh, um, spark concern at this moment.
That's very helpful context, Shane, to put some minds at ease, and it sounds like we might have some breathing room to work with. Though, Shane, thank you for dropping by this morning for this special edition of the Washington Weekly Podcast to update us on these key topics and looking forward to continuing on with our conversation in the week ahead. Absolutely. Thank you for uh, catching up, Dan. I look forward to next time. Sounds good. Thank you, Shane. And again, today we've been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. As always, I do like to point out to our listeners and, of course, our clients of UBS, please be sure to reference the latest Washington Weekly publication, which can be found up on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy.